to the AT Tapes, a podcast from the Journal of Athletic Training. The goal of this podcast is to interview researchers and clinicians on current topics facing athletic trainers and discuss how we can utilize best practices to improve patient outcomes. My name is Lizzie Elder, and I'm the host of the AT Tapes podcast. I'm an associate professor and the AT program director at the University of Alabama. My research area is on shoulder and elbow injury prevention in youth overhead athletes, and you can follow me on Twitter at E.E. Hibbard. This episode is being released during National Athletic Training Month. This year has posed immeasurable challenges professionally, and more than ever, I believe that we collectively have shown that athletic trainers are essential to healthcare. Before getting started on today's episode, I wanted to remind everyone that all content from JAT is open access, meaning it is free of charge to all readers thanks to funding from the National Athletic Trainers Association. Today's podcast will highlight a recent article in the Journal of Athletic Training titled The Role Mentoring Plays in Transition of Transition to Practice of Newly Credentialed Athletic Trainers. The focus of this paper is to examine which aspects of the mentoring relationship provide the most benefit during transition to practice of newly certified athletic trainers. Today we'll be discussing mentoring relationships overall as well as the findings from this article. We're excited to welcome Dr. Stacy Walker to the podcast to discuss this publication along with her other work. Stacy is a professor of athletic training at Ball State University and is involved with so many committees to advance the profession. Of note, she's on the Katie Education Committee, a founding board member of the Association of Athletic Training Education, and a member of the Professional Education Committee. She's a fellow of the NATA and the 2019 recipient of the Professional Development Excellence Award. Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get started on talking about the article, I want to learn a little bit about you. So if you can tell us a little bit about your educational background and how you became decided to become an athletic trainer. So my educational background and how I became are kind of one and two things. Um, I went to undergrad at Southern Illinois University. And at the time, um, I applied to the program right out of high school. You could at that point. And I didn't really understand what athletic training was, but somehow I got into the program, must have answered the questions really well, and um, thought it was more personal training, started going to the classes and just really loved it. Um, loved the medical aspect of it, learning the anatomy and, and all of those things. And then um, from there, I got I went on to uh, get my master's degree in counseling and uh, rehabilitative sciences at Clarion University in PA, worked as a, um, a clinic and high school athletic trainer, uh, got a second master's at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and then um, did my doctorate at um, Southern Miss, uh, University of Southern Mississippi, and uh, um, wanted at that point to be more in education. So, so throughout your career um, as an athletic trainer and an athletic training educator, there have been a lot of highlights that um, we can see, you know, awards won and, and things, experiences that you've had. So I'm not going to ask you to go through your whole CV, but maybe highlight some of the the, the real highlights, um, meaningful moments in your professional career. You know, my undergrad was at Southern Illinois University, which no longer, unfortunately, has a program. But at the time, Sally Perkins was the program director. 
And we were all frightened of her as the program director. And then when I got out into um, the field and started working through my my degrees and getting into the profession, I realized that I had actually been um, mentored and and taught by a really important individual in our field. So that was a, a big highlight for me that I didn't really realize until um, probably 10 years into my career or longer. Um, the other highlight was was actually working with Jim Gillespie at the University of Southern Mississippi. He was the program director at that time, and um, he uh, was one of those individuals who was very involved in education, but was also still practicing as an athletic trainer. And so he was the head athletic trainer um, at one point, and the program director wasn't very long. But when I saw him, mainly he was the program director. And so that was a real experience to 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 learn from and with someone like that, that um, had been heavily involved in the profession as well and, and realized it while I was going through my doctorate, but didn't really realize the influence that that whole experience at Southern Miss had on me until I was out. Um, And then, you know, coming to Ball State, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to apply for the job at Ball State. I didn't think I had a chance of even getting hired. I wanted to move back to the Midwest because that's where I'm from. And I, that whole pro- process of me getting hired and then um, working through my career here has been a highlight for me. Um, and becoming full professor was something that I didn't think that I would ever achieve. So um, real quickly, I, I do love mentoring doctoral students, and that's been uh, a real passion for me in the last few years. So that's another highlight of, of seeing them um, seeing them do a project and work through the whole, you know, the grant, the, the data collection, the, the analysis, and then writing the publication up has been really excited, exciting. Um, and I have enjoyed my surface. Uh, especially to the Journal of Athletic Training. Um, that was something that I've had. I, I, I said I started saying about five years ago that if I didn't have anything else happen in my career, I would be happy. Like I've I've been really blessed and sometimes I've been lucky and sometimes I've been aggressive at opportunities and taken advantage of situations. But I've been pretty lucky. Well, thank you for sharing those highlights. I think, um, you know, some of the experiences that you've had, obviously we can see on your bio and CV, but I think it's really special that a lot of the things that you highlighted are about the relationships that you formed along the way, um, which relates to this article, but also what makes our profession so unique and, and I think really fulfilling to a lot of people. So thank you for sharing those. Um, so this article uh, is featured in the Journal of Athletic Training special issue on women scholars in athletic training. Can you talk a little bit about your experience as a female in athletic training and science and any advice you have for other females as they're navigating their careers? That's a great question. So, you know, I will say that in the past five years or so, I've really woken up at how undervalued women are in um, in academia, in our profession um, and and overlooked at times. Uh, the, the biggest advice that that I would give would be to really try to take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. And, you know, it's really tough because women don't women don't go on to Twitter or go on to to social media or other places and announce that they've gotten awards or 
become chair of something or, or earned awards and accolades. And it's really tough because I, I, at times I wonder, is there a way that we could do that where it wouldn't come off where we're looking like we're trying to be too much. But I, I think sticking up, advocating for yourself, um, trying to, when, when you're working through the academic system, um, at times we are not paid what other uh, of our colleagues are paid. And finding individuals that can help you strategize on how to have those conversations to show your worth, um, I think, are really important. And they're really hard. They're really hard for women in general. And it was hard for me. I went to my dean. um, I talked to my chair and, you know, brought up the fact that there are males that are making a significant amount of money more than me. And they're at the same rank or lower and um, I got a little bit of traction for a little bit of time, but, you know, I'm at a public or a public institution. So I, I'm going to quit rambling, but I would just say to advocate for yourself and don't be afraid at times to verbalize your worth and your productivity. So thank you for sharing that. And I'll also say that um, as a young professional and young athletic training educator, uh, from my perspective, that. I have spent a lot of my career, I guess you could say watching you, which uh, maybe sounds a little creepy, but, um, you know, at professional conferences, going and seeing people that you want to emulate. And really, maybe that's a a different type of mentoring relationship. But, um, you know, I've I've seen uh, a lot of professionals that I want to be like. And so you've definitely been somebody that I've looked up to throughout my career. Well, thank you. Thank you. So as we kind of switch transition to talking a little bit about um, the uh, the article that you talked about or that on um, mentoring and talking about mentoring relationships, one thing that I would like to maybe do is define some terminology. Um, so I have recently discovered I'm no longer a young professional. Um, so you know we kind of go through these time periods in our careers. Um, this article talks about newly credentialed athletic trainers. And so who sort of falls into that category? How long are you newly credentialed um, where these mentoring relationships are particularly important? Yeah, I would say anywhere, you know, anywhere from one to two years. And it it depends on some of it depends, you know, you're newly credentialed regardless, but some of it also depends on the maturity of the individual if they've if they've gone back and are switching. But but newly credentialed one to two years. So as these newly credentialed individuals are beginning to transition into their own professional practice, can you talk a little bit about the importance of mentorship in these individuals um, for establishing and developing their careers? It's so important. Um, You know, the professional programs, I feel, are are doing as, as good as they can with the time that they have and the amount of things that we are required to teach. And what we find with newly credentialed ATs is they struggle with the intangibles and the things that that no one can teach them in a professional program. So what's the what's the culture like somewhere? What are the policies and procedures? What are the electronic medical record systems like? And so those are the types of things that if I that that they're just unsure of. And so it provides that reassurance and support I've had times where I've talked to mentors because I was really struggling with something. And at the end, I will just thank them and thank them. And they'll be like, I, okay, I didn't really do anything, but just to be able to talk about your, your, uh, about your frustrations, 
about any potential problems or challenges and to be able to get some feedback, some strategizing of how to handle situations, even validation that I think you're on the right track. I think you should continue with this. And it, it seems really um, simple at times, but it means a lot to that athletic train, that new athletic trainer to hear. I think what you are strategizing is is good or you should think about this and maybe this is a better way to do things. And so that reassurance that. So a lot of these relationships are, you know, sort of give and take between the mentor and a mentee. And really what this article was about was what are those beneficial characteristics in having an effective relationship? So can you highlight some of the results of what you found um, were the characteristics that really were were indicators of successful mentoring relationships? Yes, I would be happy to. Um, Availability is one of them. And availability is not like they have to instantly be available. It means that the mentor and the mentee have the type of relationship where if the mentee needs to talk to them, they can text them, they can they can write them an email depending on the different circumstances. And there's a back and forth. And even if the the mentee knows that their mentor is going to be seeing patients all day or something like that, they're not going to be wondering, are they going to get back to me at all? Or I know that they'll get back to me within a day or so. And if I need to, the the sophistication and finesse of if I need to really know something quickly or talk to them quickly, then I have the relationship with them that I can call them and leave a message or I can text them. So that availability is really important that there's honest feedback and, and that that feedback is given in a constructive way not destructive, um, but a constructive way. But they're told, I don't think this is a good plan or I don't think you're you're going to proceed well if you do these things. And so that it's not sugarcoated and and just reassurance that the mentor provides validation that um, they and that validation, the, the honest feedback helps develop their confidence but we've done this kind of research enough. Ashley Thrasher and I especially have, have seen this kind of pattern where in the beginning, the the mentee has a lot of questions about policy, procedure, budget, insurance. They don't have patient care questions because patient care is not the biggest things that, that they're struggling with right now. Then over time, they start having more patient care questions because they're learning the system. They're, they're being socialized into that environment. And so the, the other thing that happens is the mentor promotes that learning through all of those things, all, the reassurance, the, the feedback and et cetera. So I think both from this and, and some of your previous work that you've done, it's clear that mentoring relationships improve, like you said, people's confidence, and ultimately that will go back to patient outcomes and the care that they're able to deliver to patients. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we don't have a lot of in athletic training is documentation of of patient care. Part of the reason that nursing has really been able to, to get into the transition to practice research and provide some really good outcomes and information that have then taken all that research a step further into actual 
transition to practice programs and, and things in, the, in hospital systems is that they're able to prove that without certain types of resources, transition to practice programs, um, without preceptor help, um, without uh, proper orientation and onboarding, that there will be an increase in medical errors and that there will be an increase in attrition. Nurses will leave places that are not providing them the resources and the support that they need to do their job. But we don't have enough of that type of documentation to pull those types of data sets out yet. So I can anecdotally tell you that I'm sure that newly credentialed athletic trainers make some medical errors, but um, I, I can't prove that. Well, I think, you know, your anecdotal experience is incredibly valuable and research in this area, as well as kind of drawing off other professions. So as you think about that, how can employers use that information and the information from your research on how you can use this information for developing programming for new hires? That's a great that's a great question. Um, the biggest thing that employers can do and, and I want to make a, a statement really quick that, you know, depending on the resources of the employers and the things that are going on, some employers would love to do these things and don't have the time. So I would just want to make really clear that as I talk about this, I don't want to come off as saying that employers aren't doing what they're supposed to. I don't think anybody who employs new athletic trainers wakes up and says, I'm just going to give them the keys and hope they don't sink or swim. Um, I think that uh, athletic trainers in division, especially division three with, with uh, more sports and less staff, uh, we've seen them struggle, but let me, let me get to your answer. But I just, I, I always want to be really careful with that because I think employers are doing the best they can. I don't think they're, but um, onboarding, um, which is a basic, you know, a longer term of orientation. So a, a lot of places do a pretty good job with orientation, especially during a one or two day orientation. But it tends to cognitively, cognitively overload the, ment the new employ employee. If I'm learning about everything in two days, there are a lot of things that are going to slip through the cracks. I'm going to forget um, so uh, making smaller orientations that last longer for longer periods, anywhere from six months to a year um, and, and easing athletic trainers into certain things. So maybe they don't start with the electronic medical record system on the first day. Um, you know, there are some places that that do not allow new athletic trainers that are hired to even be alone uh, for the first few for the first month or first weeks of employment because they have a preceptor or another clinician there with them that knows the system and, and can help them. So longer ongoing um, orientation, setting really clear expectations for employees and working through job descriptions and, and going through that, helping them with the political information of the, the climate and the socialization of, you know, there are certain individuals that you just don't want to try to win any arguments with. You let them win. Like it's not worth getting into uh, certain coaches, certain. And I'm not saying we bow down, but just making sure that you understand the culture and and the political ramifications of some of the decisions that are made. Not every fight needs to be fought kind of thing. Just because you're new and you're trying to establish yourself, there are ways to strategize and help with 
with those things. And the policies and procedures and having those policies and procedures really on paper, we've been told by newly credentialed ATs that either through paper or PDF so that at times they can go back and look at them is really helpful. So as you mentioned, a lot of times employers are doing the best that they can, but they don't have formal mentoring processes um, or programs established. Um, but a lot of times this, the new athletic trainer identifies that they need a mentor. Um, so how do you suggest that individuals find a mentor, especially if they're in a setting where they are practicing alone? So the first thing I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question, but I do want to say that I just I'm not a big proponent of allowing newly credentialed ATs practice alone. And I know that happens at the high school setting. And, and it is a systemic issue that we have where the high schools, they want to hire an athletic trainer. They have the money to hire an athletic trainer, but should we encourage a newly credentialed AT to go practice alone. I, I don't know if that's a great idea. I also understand a job's a job and all the other things, but I do think if a new, newly credentialed athletic trainer is going to be practicing alone, it is vital that they find at least one mentor, if not more, and make some good connections with their um, supervisor, wherever they're uh, coming out of. Sometimes that's not possible because they're employed by the high school, but other times, if they're employed by a hospital system or something like that, um, that, that making those contacts are, are really important. But, I, you know, how do they find a mentor? I, I, would, I would hope, and I know this doesn't always happen because I've talked to new ATs that have felt this way. But I would hope that most ATs, as they graduate, um, they either have a past instructor or um, a uh, preceptor that they felt a bond with and a connection that is a little more than just being the normal relationship that they would have. Um, the other, the other way I would, I would um, encourage new ATs to, to, uh, to find someone is to, if they go to any social events or any, or if they learn of any athletic trainers in their area, call them. Ask them if they would be, you know, hey, I would really like to talk to you. Would you like to go to lunch? Um, I'd like to learn more about the area. Uh, can could we develop a bit of relationship? The, the one thing about athletic training is we are genuinely nice people <laughs> who want to help. And and I have throughout my career at times almost this is going to sound really awkward, but almost forced myself on individuals because I knew I needed help. Like I called them, I emailed them, I set up meetings with them. Like the, the driving force of the mental relationship was for me because I knew they were busy, but I needed the help and I wanted their, I, I wanted their guidance. And over time things reciprocated. Um, and you know, they were open to my guidance, but the driving force was me. I wasn't, if I waited for them to set a meeting or reach out to me, they were too busy and it wouldn't happen. And so take, keep that in mind that, that just because someone necessarily doesn't always reach out to you to find out how you're doing at times, doesn't mean they don't care. They could just be so busy and, and getting that email or text or phone call that says, Hey, can, can we talk? Athletic trainers will say yes we're, they're generally great people. So 
I think that's a really important point that you make because oftentimes students coming out of programs, they have these mentors built in and their preceptors and teachers, the people that are, you know, their role, defined role is to pour into them and that identifying a mentor and participating in that relationship is really an active process um, by the student. So you have done already a lot of research in this area, and this publication uh, definitely adds on to that. So what's next um, as you're thinking about this uh, area? What What is still to be explored? I really truly think the the employer aspect is a big piece of, of exploring. You know, we've identified some of the challenges. We've identified some of the things for onboarding that, that newly credentialed ATs think that they would need. And we've we've been fortunate enough to have a mix of the undergraduate perceptions and the masters. And I anecdotally don't see a lot of big things changing just because we've moved to the master's level. Now, these new standards are a bit of a level up. And so that might be interesting to look at in five to 10 years, you know, what are the challenges of new athletic trainers coming out of programs? But the employers, I would really like to know what are some of the barriers that they have um, in terms of uh, developing orientation and, and doing some of those things. One of my dream projects at one point and, and still is, is how to develop some type of a skeleton of here are things to do for orientation and how long. Um, the challenge with it is every place is so different, but there are key things, you know, policies and procedures and um, electronic medical record system documentation. So that's one of the things we'd, we'd like to explore. So I, I think one of the things that's uh, great about this research and, and all the work that you've done is there's a research aspect to it and then a direct clinical application or how can it really be used. So um, I look forward to that for my students and, and other young professionals. Thank you. So as we finish up uh, the episode, I did want to ask you if you could take just a minute to talk about some of your professional mentors that have helped you throughout your career. Sure. Um, I've, I've been pretty fortunate. Uh, Jim Gillespie was um, very influential. Um, and, you know, I haven't been some, some, the thing about mentors is the relationships ebb and flow and some last longer and some, but I think one of my, my first mentors was, was Jim um, the, the other person that I'll, I'll mention um, is Gary Harrelson. Gary Harrelson was involved as a grad of the um, is a grad of the Southern Miss program and the Ph.D. program and was affiliated. And I got to know him and he was really influential in my life in terms of how to review articles, which is something you don't really learn anywhere. Um, you know, no one has a course on how to review papers. So uh, Bonnie Van Lunen has been very influential in my life. I met her when I was going to school at uh, Chattanooga, and um, we've remained close since. Uh, Tom Weiner was very pivotal, especially during my uh, pre-tenure years at Ball State um, in terms of answering questions and guiding me through. And uh, Bill Pitney um, was very influential as well. I met him early in my career, and he was always very kind to me. And... Uh, and open some doors um, service-wise um, that that I appreciated. And Melissa Martin has has always been a really strong advocate for me and for women in athletic training. Has always um, 
really sought out some some females throughout their career and, and assisted them and helped them and asked them how she can help. And, and you know, every now and then she'll call and how are you doing? And, and it, it really means a lot. So and, and the, the thing about oh, I'm sorry. The thing about it is it never changes because you think like, you know, our focus is newly credentialed ATs, but I still need mentoring as I go through my career. Like we get new challenges. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I hope those of you that are listening can think about some of your professional mentors and um, maybe a, a good time to reach out to people and just say hello and, and thank them for the impact on your career. Because I think we also sometimes get so busy. Uh, we don't always remember uh, that sometimes the thank you and the just acknowledgement of, of the role that someone played in making you an athletic trainer is really important. So. So as we finish up this episode today, I do just want to ask if you have anything else that you want to add from your research, the article, any take home points to kind of leave the listeners with. I would encourage employers to just um, the best they can with the orientation um, and the the any type of resources, meetings they can have with new new athletic trainers. Um, the, you know, we, we don't have the, the data, but it will help with medical errors. It will help them with um, confusion and stress. And that in turn can help increase the retention of them either um, staying in that current role or staying in the profession. Uh, the, the time and effort it takes to hire a new employee is pretty intense and stressful. And if you think about, about it that way at times, um, you know, meetings, checking in on them, setting expectations, I think are the big, uh, you know, the paper was about mentoring, but if you, if you want the clinical aspects of it, um, the onboarding and, and everything and encouraging them, you know, some places will assign a mentor, um, but also encouraging them to seek another person out that maybe isn't at their place of employment that they can speak with because, some some people are not, you know, they really don't care if they're asking a dumb question. And but some people would be really afraid at times to ask a, a certain questions to their supervisor because they might seem like they aren't paying attention or they're not very smart or they didn't catch something. And and we all have times where we think we're about to ask a really dumb question. And if you're not comfortable asking that type of question to your supervisor, then seek out a mentor or someone who can provide you some help with how to either answer that question or strategize how to ask your supervisor. Well, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your article and thank you for your work that you do in the profession and serving as a role model for females and female leaders. Um, I, I think you are um, somebody that is very admirable and has um, impacted probably a lot more people than you realize. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And I would just like to thank real quick um, my co-authors, um, Stephanie uh, Maserol-Singe and Julie Cavallario. Um, I'd like to thank the NATA Foundation. This was a, a funded project. And lastly, um, the participants. This was a year-long study and they stuck with it. So thank them. Well, thank you again. And um, to the listeners, I hope you all found this podcast informative and that you can utilize the recommendations in your mentee-mentor relationships. Happy Athletic Training Month and stay healthy and safe. That is it for today's The AT Tapes, and we look forward to our episode next month. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please follow the Journal of Athletic Training on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JAT underscore NATA on all three platforms. 
Thank you for listening. And I hope you will join us for next month's episode of the AP Taste. Thank you.